Aloha! You are listening to Inside the Desert Oasis Room, episode number 171. This episode is brought to you by Tandawai Rum. During this unique and challenging time, Tandawai stands in unity with our partners, customers, and community with strength and resilience to get through this pandemic and serving our community by acting responsibly through quarantine and social distancing practices. To enjoy Tandawai rum and Tandawai cocktails from the comfort of your own home, visit our social media pages on Facebook or Instagram at Tandawai Rum. We will get through this together. On this installment of the COVID Chronicles, we chat with Randy Wong. Randy is the co-founder, band leader, and music director of the modern exotica band Waitiki. On this episode, we briefly touch on the current state of affairs on the Hawaiian Islands regarding the COVID pandemic. However, for the bulk of our chat, we talk about his and his band members' roots in exotica music. Learn about Waitiki's newest projects and find out how they, as professional musicians, have been persevering artistically through this pandemic. As always, I hope you enjoy this episode as much as we did bringing it to you. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider helping us with your support during this challenging time. Stop by DesertOasisRoom.com to check out our merch or leave us a tip. We've got tiki mugs, t-shirts, and pendants available right now. Any purchase or donation, no matter the size, is totally appreciated and helps keep this podcast coming to you every week. Alrighty, grab a cocktail and join us inside the Desert Oasis Room as we hop over to the islands of Hawaii and give it up for our friend, Randy Wong. Aloha. Aloha. Hey, Adrian. Nice to talk to you. Hey, cheers. How you doing, Randy? Good, man. It's, it's great to hear your voice and, uh, you know, everything uh, together in Tiki, you know? Thank you. Thank you. It's great to hear you, too. How is stuff going for you guys over there out in the islands right now? Are, are people still traveling to the islands? Yeah, you know, I think people are still traveling to the islands. Uh, there's definitely some quarantine procedures that are happening. Uh, you, you got to do it like a 14 day quarantine and the authorities kind of put you through the ringer, you know, some interview questions and, you know, make sure that you check in, you know, every so often, uh, wow. make sure that you're not going out. Uh, it's, I think it's pretty rigorous from what I've heard from people who have been coming in, but you know, the, the rigor is, you know, for safety, uh, so that yeah, we can all, get it. you know, help to, you know, flatten the curve, so to speak. I have a buddy who. He he's here in L.A. Well, he was here in L.A. He's back in Oahu now. That's where he was born and raised. But he mm-hmm. had to decide when he was going to fly out there or if he was going to fly out there because if he left after a certain date, he would have to fall into that 14-day quarantine requirement. Mm-hmm. And he made it out there just in time. He landed something at like 1130-something at night 
and at midnight was when they were enforcing that new quarantine requirement of 14 days. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I, I just made mentioned it. that on that on that other uh, podcast, the uh, oh, Skull, okay. Skull and Crown. Yeah, 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 that's right? right. Yeah. So I'm curious, where are they making people quarantine when they do that? Well, I think you, you self-quarantine in wherever, like, you know, like your hotel or your, um, oh, your, your okay. home or wherever you're staying. Okay. Wow. Interesting. How's, uh, yeah. how's the tourism looking like right now? Is it totally dead or, or are there still people like, I saw a, a picture on Reddit or something of people getting ticketed for laying on the beach. <laughs> yeah. I'm assuming those yeah. are tourists. They, Right. I, I think there is some of that. You know, to, to be quite honest, I haven't left the house uh, recently. Okay. Uh, so I, I, I don't know really what's going on uh, out beyond like my immediate neighborhood. Yeah. Yeah. So if the quarantine were lifted at the end of this month, do you think everything would just go back to normal? Or do you think that there'd be a recovery period? I think there's got to be a recovery period of some sort. I mean, I'm not, there's I'm not gotta an expert be, right? in this field at all. Yeah, um, I, I'm I just guess getting it's your the opinion. First time that yeah. we're all experiencing it, right? But yeah, um, my thought is like, there's going to be new regulations, right, with social distancing on the planes, which will reduce visitors. Social distancing in restaurants, social distancing in, on tours, all that kind of stuff. Hotels, maybe, because you'll have yeah. like you know very large public areas at the hotels where. They're going to start separating people if there's a a restriction there. I'm sure it's going to be different everywhere, but in the beginning, I'm I'm sure also that there's going to be something that's going to slow us back into normalcy. That's not we're not just going to jump right back into where we were. You know, that's my guess. Yeah, definitely could be. So I'm glad yeah. that you uh, you joined me. I appreciate you taking time to join the podcast. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah. I mean, I, I love, I love your show. And of course I love, uh, you know, checking out the desert, desert oasis room, at least through pictures. And, uh, you know, I think right now we just, Hey, we all need to escape. Right. I know. Right. So here's the thing, you know, all these years that I've known you, how long do we go back, dude? <laughs> a long time. Yeah. Probably, probably about like at least a dozen years. If at not least more. a dozen. Yeah. And I think it's even longer than that. And all this time, I've never actually got to talk to you about your music. So I want to ask you a bunch of questions. So if, okay. if if you don't mind me, like kind of doing a deep dive on your background, let's start with that. Let's let's tell our listeners that aren't familiar with your musical background a little bit more about that. Sure. Okay. So um, you know, I'm I'm the the bassist and the band leader for Waitiki. Uh, an exotica band uh, that was started in Boston in uh, we started in 2003. Um, prior to to Boston, uh, I'm born and raised in Hawaii, uh, in uh, on the island of Oahu, and mm -hmm. I grew up playing music. Uh, starting you know pretty young, age four, I started with the uh, with the uh, piano and and and, and uh, singing solfege, which is like this French. Uh, French pedagogy uh, of learning, you know, learning to read music. Uh, and then I started playing the upright bass in third grade uh, in my uh, in my elementary school. We were Holy all required moly. to uh, learn to play an instrument. Right. And so my uh, my parents are, are both uh, amateur musicians. My, my mom plays a little bit of piano and harp. Uh, 
and uh, my father is a Hawaiian uh, slack key guitarist. Okay. And so I was always around him and like all my Calabash uncles. Uh, he was a, a one of the last students of Auntie Alice Namakelua, who was a, a very famous uh, slack key guitarist and pedagogue, kind of like the Bach of, of slack key guitar. Nice. And uh, so I grew up playing, you know, learning a lot of uh, Hawaiian music through him and through his friends. And I got to sit in with Pukuamana as a child. And mm-hmm. I played with uh, Kyoki Van Blindberg, who was, um, he won the Hawaiian falsetto contest in the, uh, in the 90s. And uh, then I played with another group called Waipuna. Uh, and uh, it was just always around Hawaiian music. Uh, at the same time, I was playing an orchestra in, in, a, in an organization called the Hawaii Youth Symphony, which actually now I'm, I'm the president of. Uh, and my, you know, my high school had, you know, the things that high school has, they have a marching band, a jazz band, right. concert band, all that kind of stuff. So I, I played in all of those groups. And, um, then I, you know, I, I ended up going to, going away to college for music. I studied bass, classical bass performance at uh, New England Conservatory, which is a really renowned, uh, music school in Boston. Um, I, uh, uh, ended up playing in a, in a number of professional orchestras all in the New England area. I ended up doing a lot of uh, jazz, uh, jazz studies. Also in Boston, you know, there's a lot of great players that go to a Berkeley College of Music. Right. And so, you know, played a lot of music that way. Um, for students from Hawaii, you know, there aren't that many students from Hawaii that go into music as a career professionally, um, especially in classical and jazz. And at the time, uh, my buddy Abe Lagrimas, uh Jr., who uh, he's a drummer, a jazz drummer, and a vibraphone player, and uh, now he plays ukulele. Uh, both of us were in Boston at, at the time. He was at Berkeley, I was at New England Conservatory, and uh, you know we were trying to connect with other Hawaii students. So we go to like you know Hawaii clubs that were Hawaii culture clubs sure. that were you know organized. Like Boston University had one, Harvard had one, Boston College, and. Uh, you know, a lot of times those clubs, when they when they throw their luau's, you know, a couple of students get together and they perform some Hawaiian music, or maybe they have the budget to hire, you know, uh, uh, a, a group from Hawaii. And so we're just thinking, well, if we started to play Hawaiian music and do it in a in a way that's different from, you know, the usual ukulele guitar kind of stuff, uh, then we could really have something special to share with these Hawaii clubs. And that yeah. that was kind of the basis for Waitiki. Dude, I have um, so many questions now that you've given yeah. me all this information. So I want to start from when you were younger. You started playing upright bass in third grade. Yep, nine years old. Yeah, it was. It was. It was. And also, Arthur Lyman was a was a family friend. Okay. Uh, okay. So back then, I I'll, I'll send you a picture. You can maybe put it up on, on the podcast page or something. There's yeah, a picture yeah. of um, me and and Mr. Lyman. Uh, he was playing vibraphone, and I was just kind of like looking over, looking over over the bars. Oh, how um, cool is that? And so, yeah, so I the sound was in my ear from early on, but yeah. I didn't know what exotica was, you know, until until much later. So in Hawaii, everybody learns how to play instruments at a very young age, and every year you're required to play an instrument. And obviously, like people are choosing ukulele. I mean, I know that it's very much part of the local culture. is It's very musical. Um, but I guess that also yeah. comes from what, what kind I mean, of school I, you're I, going to, right? I think the culture is the culture is pretty musical. But unfortunately, there aren't a lot of music education programs mm-hmm. in Hawaii. Um, the, in fact, like in, in, the, in the DOE, in the public schools, there isn't a requirement 
uh, that the schools have a music program, for example. Right. So many schools, especially elementary and middle schools, do not have music programs of any kind. Okay. They don't even have general music. Okay. Um, Interesting. Wow. Yeah. So do you play piano too? No, not really. Oh, really? And your mom no, plays I don't, piano? I don't, I don't play any piano. So yeah. your mom never taught you that? Uh, she signed me up for piano lessons for a few years. Uh, I wasn't very good at it. Oh, okay. And I, I think she really wanted me to continue, but I ended up uh, switching over to the bass. Yeah, yeah, because um, as a piano player, she can play the harp, right? It's this, it's it's strung the same way that a piano is keyed. Is that correct? Uh, similar. Yeah. Yeah, from what I yeah. understand. I mean, there are a lot of different types of harps, um, so it kind of depends. Like, if you're on a lever harp or a pedal harp, um, okay, the exact specifics. But she, yeah, she didn't get into playing the harp until I think after I was already out of high school. Okay, and vibes too. Are vibes also kind of keyed the same way that a piano is keyed? Yeah, vibes. Vibes are, are chromatic, like a chromatic keyboard instrument. Right, right. So, when I was a kid, I learned to play piano under the forceful hand of my mother, <laughs> and oh, yeah, yeah. and um, I hated it. Every day I had to do practice, and it just kept me away from being with my friends. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until later in life that I thought, wow, I wish I had retained more of that. I retained a lot of it, and I was able to apply it to when I was learning how to play ukulele because of the scales. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. you know, when I, when I actually compared the two and I thought, oh, okay, so this is where all my flats and sharps and, and how my scales work, right? Um, it right. really made things clearer for me and made it really a lot easier to learn the ukulele. So um, mm -hmm. I was just curious, you know, how much of that rubbed off on you at home. Um, you know, I think the bass is, it probably uses the same kind of uh, scale technique, right, as any other stringed instrument. So, uh, but what I'm curious about is what made you choose upright bass and in third grade? You know, that is the only uh, question you'll ask that I don't have an answer to. Um, <laughs> I, I have no idea. I, all, I, all I know is that um, for some reason, well, I, I remember on the day that we were going to have class, I was like, I really want to play the saxophone. And I don't remember being asked what I wanted to play. I think they just said, like, you should play the bass. And, I, okay. and, and that's what I ended up with. And before I knew it, my parents were... Uh, you know, getting a, getting a hatchback. Yeah. You know, haul the thing around. <laughs> wow. That's funny. So yeah, let's, let's talk about your time in Boston. So number one, you must've been a fish out of water coming from the islands. And then all of a sudden you're in the coldest part of the country. Yeah. You know, it's something I, that I look forward to. Uh, and I, I spent, uh, I spent a little bit of time, uh, in the summer, on the East coast. I, I went to this, uh, music program out at Tanglewood, which is the summer home of the Boston symphony. Okay. So I got to know a little bit about, you know, the new Englander culture a bit, but I hadn't experienced the Boston winter until, until you're right until I moved there. And so I, that was definitely pretty different. Yeah. I don't know if I could survive that to be quite honest with you. Uh, it makes the, the cold makes us better people. <laughs> That's a good answer. That's a good it gets answer. Some grit, you know. 
Oh yeah. Yeah. So when you were over there in Boston and your friend Abe was over there, was that planned or was that kind of just a coincidence you were there at the same time? Well, he's, he's two years younger than me. So I was there before him, but his older brother, Eric, uh, was there a couple of years before me. Okay. And he was, Eric went to Berkeley and Eric was doing, um, he, he, he was doing a uh, music business, a uh, music business degree at Berkeley. And okay. then I came up, uh, to Boston and at the same time, Abe had already been going to Berkeley's uh, five week summer program. And so we knew that he was going to come to Boston eventually. Okay. And so it just worked out that, you know, the three of us, uh, were all there pretty much at the same time. And they were my partners in getting my Tiki started. We also started a record label called Pass Out Records, which still still exists to this day. And that was started as a as one of our kind of, you know, buddy projects. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So when you were there in Boston, you studied what style of music? Was it more classical and jazz? Yeah, it was it was classical. It was, okay. I was I majored in, in classical uh bass performance. Uh, my goal was to uh, uh, become an orchestral bass player, oh. uh, but I was—I had been playing some jazz in Hawaii. Abe and I started a jazz trio together when when I was in tenth grade and he was in eighth grade. So um, yeah, we—I mean, I played some jazz before that, and when I went to NEC, I continued to play jazz. I I studied with a great uh, jazz bass player, uh, Cecil McBee, and uh, pianist Michael Kane, who. Uh, Michael Caine played with Jack DeJohnette, who's like a really famous jazz drummer. And uh, he also also was working with uh, Michelle Indigo Cello at the time. And so I had, a, I had a lot of classical and jazz influences at the same time. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, it's so different from Hawaiian music. Yeah. Yeah. Really different, really different in a, in a lot of ways from Hawaiian music, um, but not... Um, you know, music is, is a language. Everyone says, oh, it's a universal language. And, you know, not everybody, you know, knows exactly what that means. But I think in, in, in this case, you know, there are a lot of things that translate from just general concepts that, that translate from, you know, one thing to the to the next. Yeah. I want to talk about Waitiki 7. Yeah. When you started there in Boston, was there seven of you or was it just you and Abe? Uh. <laughs> So the, the Abe and I started the first thing we did what I did before Abe got there was I started a Hawaiian a contemporary Hawaiian band that was modeled a little bit after like Kalapana and a mm. little bit after like um, some of uh, some of the Pure Heart and kind of like uh, John Cruz stuff. Oh yeah, and yeah. Uh, and I, I assembled it with uh, musicians that uh, were my you know uh, I was going to school with at at, at NAC at New England Conservatory. So that was a little bit of an experiment. And then when Abe came up, we experimented with some ukulele. He started playing the uke. And we had a band called the Mongooses, which is kind of like the direct predecessor to, to, to Waitiki. Okay. And then when we decided that we wanted to have an exotica band, uh, partially because he was playing with Don Tiki at the time, and he he really dug the music. Okay. Uh, he right. was introduced to, to exotica through Don Tiki. And he was already playing with, because Don Tiki was playing with Martin Denny, so Abe was playing with Martin Denny. And he was also playing a lapaka. Oh, okay. And then, and then we were like, well, you've, you know, there's a lot of jazz musicians in Boston that we thought we could, we could musically direct them and introduce them to Exotica. 
so we could form a band that was inspired, you know, it was yeah. largely inspired by Don Tiki. Okay, um, yeah, because I was curious where the Exotica angle came from, too, because, you know, Exotica is not exactly something that people know about even today you know i mean today people yeah, are knowing yeah. learning a little bit more about it but back then it was really unorthodox and right. to follow that path yeah. especially in modern day right right so we like i had a class at, in in college it was a career skills class and we had to come up with like a um a, a press kit the the the, uh, the assignment was to find a, a group uh a historical group that you thought had a, a great story and you had to come up with a press kit and like imagine what the pitch was to um, to, to to make this group come to life. And mm -hmm. I was like, I wanted to, to do something different. And I had like my CD collection with me, and uh, I had you know I had some Arthur Lyman uh, CDs. And you know, I, I was like, you know, I've never really, I hadn't really like really dug into the music at that point, but I was just kind of looking at the at the at the uh, CD cover, and I was like man, what was the story behind the CD cover? And like, what actually, like, what is this music? You know? Mm -hmm. So put on the record, uh, the CD and there's all like all these monkey sounds and bird calls. I think the first, the first uh, track I listened to was coronation or uh, taboo or something. And I was just like, Whoa, this is wild. Um, and so we started to, we started to kind of flesh it out. And then at the same time, we were thinking about starting our own group. And so Exotica just seemed like the, it seemed like the right fit. Yeah. You know, yeah. It was, it's, it's jazzy. Um, the music hadn't really been, been played before. I mean, we certainly hadn't ever heard it perform live. Abe was playing both vibes and drums. And so we were like, yeah, let's just put it together. So we made a demo uh, of just the two of us. And we uh, we shopped the press kit that I made for class. We shopped it around to like all these uh, Chinese restaurants okay. in Boston, uh -huh. and it, it just so happened that there was a, a tiki bar that was opening by Fenway Park, by the by the baseball park, right at that same time. It was called the Tiki Room, uh -huh. and uh, you know it was like a corporate place, but it was a tiki. It was it was actually a tiki place, and it wasn't really set up for live music. So we we never. I think we only played there once, but we did talk them into having Exotica as the soundtrack to the restaurant. And to this day, I still consider that a, a major win because that was back in 2003. Right. You know, how did they respond to that when you were trying to push Exotica? Did they even know what that was? No, they had they had no idea. They were, they were planning to play top 40, which is actually not uncommon e even nowadays. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, you still have yeah. all these corporate places that do that, but. It taught us a lot about, you know, trying to sell the music and, and explain to people what it is. Right. So you leave Boston, you finish all your stuff there, and then you go back home. And what happens to the band after you go back home? Okay. So I was in Boston for like 12 years. Oh, you were there that long? I didn't yeah, know YTK you were there that long. through that time. Um, oh, Okay. Yeah, and so like we put out we put out a we put out a bunch of like Waitiki quartet recordings uh, starting in two thousand five, I guess. Okay. The first one was Charred Mammal Flesh, which was like partially Martin Denny influenced, and then the other part was like really it was very like Zappa esque, I guess. Okay. Um, and uh, and then and then we we did another recording, Rendezvous in Okonkwulu, uh, that was our first experiment 
uh, with putting something out on vinyl. And then we had a, uh, we had a project with, um, uh, we're really into the music of Juan Garcia Esquivel. So we had this thing called the Orchestratica, mm-hmm. uh, which uh, was great. It took us to Mexico with a big band. And eventually we, we kind of shipped that project off. Brian O'Neill, uh, Mr. Ho, ended up taking it on. And, and now he calls it the, uh, I think it's Mr. Ho's Orchestratica. Uh, but its roots were in Waitiki. Okay. Okay. And then eventually we, 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 we got a call from uh, the German government. And they're doing this festival called Festival of Bosser Music, Water Music. And they said, we're going to bring Don Tiki from Hawaii. We'd love to have Waitiki. Would you do something special for us? What would you do? And so we're like, well, let's put together an all-star septet. And so that was the Waitiki 7. So that was in 2008, I think. Wow. And that's when, so it was, that's when the septet started. Dude, I'm learning um, so much. I didn't know that Mr. Hose was, was, uh, uh, an offshoot. <laughs> yeah, Mr. Ho was actually uh, so. Things about Mr. Ho, uh, he was our 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 original vibes player. Okay. Uh, he started with us in 2004. Uh, Ho is actually an acronym. Oh, it is. Uh, it came, yeah, it, it came from it came from a nickname that Abe and I had for him. Okay. Uh, we used to call him Howley O'Neill because he was the whitest guy we knew. <laughs> And then and then and then we and then we shortened and we shortened it to Mr. Ho. Wow. Okay. Okay. Yeah. He was with us until 2006 or 2007 or something. Okay. So yeah. now my question instead of you coming home is now is why did you come home? You were there for 12 years. Yeah, you know, I mean, I I, I was doing in in I I wanted to come home. I you know, I'd been away from Hawaii for a while. Um, 2009, 2010, I was making, I made like 12 or 13 trips back to Hawaii. Oh, wow. So I just started thinking like, you know, could I, could I ship my home base to Hawaii and then go back to Boston as needed? Yeah. Um, and, and so I did. And from Hawaii, Boston is the other side of the world. It's so far away. Yeah. You know, it was before, uh, before Hawaiian had that direct flight. So Mm, I didn't even know they had a direct flight. Really felt far away. Wow. 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 So then let's go back to my original question. When you get to Hawaii, how does the band change there? Yeah, you know, uh, since since in Hawaii, we've been on a little bit of a hiatus, uh, self-induced hiatus, mainly because of because of me. My uh, my my day job is uh, I'm the president and executive director for the Hawaii Youth Symphony. Mm -hmm. And so. Through Hawaii Youth Symphony, we have we serve kids on all islands. We have like 700 students and seven orchestras and two jazz bands and you know, all this other stuff. And so I'm just really busy with that. And uh, Helen, who's in the Waitiki Seven, uh, she's our violinist, and and me, we're both we both play for professionally in the Hawaii Symphony Orchestra. Okay. So it's been it's been really busy, uh, but since then we've been putting together a couple of different projects. We did a Waitiki seven plus seven project which is the waitiki seven so that uh with the addition of a string quartet and a uh jazz horn trio uh-huh it sounds awesome so that was kind of yeah it was awesome we 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 decided to do a bunch of the um i don't know are you familiar with uh, buddy colette's album uh polynesia yes yeah yeah so we did a bunch of arrange we 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 transcribed uh that record oh uh, very Tim nice Mayer, uh did the transcriptions and, and the arrangements so we did a bunch of things off of that record, and then we'd been kind of toying with 
different ways to expand the instrumentation of Waitiki. Uh, we also we've played with Pops Orchestra. Mm-hmm. So we we played with both the Youth Symphony and then with the Idaho uh, State Symphony. Okay. We've been just trying out different ways to have Waitiki kind of expand beyond that's either the cool. quartet or the septet. Yeah, that's uh, pretty cool. Format. Yeah, I noticed though. I mean, you 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 loaded some stuff recently on Facebook, which is what prompted me to call you. you it, it was Waitiki Quartet performances yeah. on yeah. Hawaii Public Radio. And it, yeah. and it made me wonder, you know, is it still a, a septet or is it just down to a quartet at this point? But I think you're answering my question. You know, maybe sometimes it's you just get the four of you, right? Uh, and maybe right. sometimes it's, you get the whole band together. Exactly. Yeah, it's flexible. I mean, we're musicians, right? So sure. we look for projects and we just look for ways to keep it fresh. Yeah. There yeah. was a time where we, you know, every gig that we took for like about a five year period was a septet gig. Right. And that's great, but it's, you know, there's a lot of overhead and there's a lot of just sure. moving people, seven people all living in different parts of the world. It's hard to get together, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. But there's something that I, I love, you know, what I love about the, the quartet stuff that we just released, the videos, is that I think it brings us really close to what the original Martin Denny feeling oh, might have been. Oh, my God. I love it, man. It's so good. It's so good. You know, I, you know, like you posted, well, I shared the Adventures in Paradise video and yeah, then yeah. I said, I want more. And then you sent me a link with four more. Yeah. And I thought, okay, can I still say that I want more? <laughs> <laughs> yes, you can. I mean, I want more. You know, you I, should I, take, I love it. You should take those four plus the Adventures in Paradise, which I think was all part of the same session, right? Yeah. You know, we, we knocked it out. We did that. Um, uh, initially we planned to just release like a, a concert stream. And okay. so we recorded it. We just recorded it all like back to back. Um, one take. Gotcha. I was going to uh, say you should about 30 minutes of music. And then, and then I realized like, I can't put a 30 minute video on YouTube. Like, oh well, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, yeah, so they, I, people I, will watch I, it. I broke it up into, into pieces. I, I would watch it. And I know a lot of my listeners would watch it, but what I was going <laughs> to say is you should maybe release that as an EP or something. Yeah, we, we, we're, we're planning to. It's, you know, it's actually this year is the uh, 15th anniversary since our first release of the Waitiki Quartet's Charred Mammal Flush. Oh, very nice. And yeah, Congratulations. so, you know, 15 years of, yeah. of, of Waitiki recordings, you know, we're, we're planning to, 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 to get it out. It's yeah, it's imminent. I'll just say it that way. Yeah, yeah. So I have a couple questions more about the music. So number one, I'm curious how Exotica fits on the islands today because today there is so much popular. I mean, I love Hawaiian music. I know a lot of tiki people don't like it, but it <laughs> reminds me of the islands. And, of course, traditional Hawaiian music and then slack key guitar and that kind of stuff, right? How does Exotica yeah. fit in with all of that in Hawaii? Is there a bigger listening audience now for Exotica music? I think there's continually uh, more people who are hip, are hip or are ready to become hip to Exotica. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what's really interesting is, you know, there, there are a lot of artists who who are familiar with the music and they, they reference it in their own ways. You know, Raya amazing musician, uh, beautiful singer. I had the opportunity to work with her through the, through the Hawaii youth symphony last year. 
and uh, we we did a show that was inspired by her album Sea of Love. Okay. Uh, and the Sea of Love album is very much exotica. Oh. Uh, it has an exotica sound. I'm gonna have to look it's, that it's up. A, yeah, man, it's got a it's got a it's got a uh, mid century sound. She's got this unbelievable golden voice, and um, we had the uh, we we commissioned some arrangements from this uh, incredible composer. His name's Michael Thomas Fomai, F O U M A I. Uh, he's a uh, he was a violinist who who went through the youth symphony program and then became a, a world famous classical composer. And so he uh, wrote these arrangements that are very much exotica inspired. And it just has that that lush tropical mid century sound, you know. Right. We worked with uh, Jimmy Borges, who uh, your listeners are probably familiar with. He was one of the disciples of Frank Sinatra. Okay. And wow. Before Jimmy, before Jimmy passed, uh, Waitiki did a show with him and the and the Youth Symphony, and we we also got some orchestrations that are just right in line with that kind of that Nelson Riddle sound. Yeah. Yeah. Very nice. Um, you know, there are a lot of slacky guitarists who are experimenting with different types of tunings and different sounds and bringing in influences from all around the world. Uh, Makana is one that comes to mind. Kayla Beamer, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there there's a lot of folks out there who, because Hawaii, I think, inspires just like, you know, these exotic ideas. Yeah, you know? exactly. it's, it's so natural for, for that music to enter into other artists' work. Yeah. Yeah. This all leads me into my next question about your music, which is your process. So take me through your process, because it's sounding like that there's so much influence with the styles of Exotica that you are exploring and that you guys are recording. Who's writing the music and where are these concepts coming from? And also... What do you think is different about the exotica today than the exotica from the generation before us? I like that last question. Uh, I, I get to okay. So the the influences, um, you know, I, I was checking out the interview that you did with Ixta Huele with uh, yeah, Matias yeah. and them. First of all, I have so much respect for Matias and, and that group. So do I. Um, and 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 I I agree with uh, you know with with their thinking uh, you know as to Stravinsky and and Red of Spring and so forth. But I think it goes um, there there are other influences as well. Classical music uh, from Maurice Ravel. Okay. Uh, if you check out like his Daphnis and Chloe Suite or his String Quartet, Fritz Kreisler, who was a famous uh, violin uh, violinist and and he would compose violin showpieces. Uh, his tambourine chinoise. Arnold Bax, you know, there are a lot of, there are a lot of classical composers that, that definitely influence Exotica. And for mm-hmm. me as a, as a, as a musician, as a classical musician, that has a, a, it plays a large part. When Waitiki started, we consisted of two, basically two things, cover, covers of Martin Denny and Arthur Lyman that Abe and I would transcribe off the records. Wow. And then originals that I would write. Um, and so, in terms of transcribing stuff off the records, I mean, we just, it was what, is what, you know, records we had access to. Yeah. And then finding ones that we thought would, would work well in our limited kind of quartet setting, you know, so something like, um, jungle drums would have been really difficult for us to do because Martin Denny's jungle drums says choir. 
you know, or uh, to do like um, Tahitian Sunset would have been really difficult because none of us, you know, really whistled that well and we didn't have boob amps. Mm -hmm. But we did, you know, we did go for like When First I Love or Manila uh, or uh, things from Adventures in Paradise because they're easy to uh, adapt to, a, you know, a small quartet. Sure. And then in terms of like writing tunes, you know, I think every composer takes a different a, a different perspective. For me, I'm really, you know, I really think about something like there's like a, it's almost like an exercise. It's like something that I want to build. You know, maybe right. it's like a, a cool baseline that I found and I want to like build a song around it. You know, that was basically the case of China Fan. Uh, or maybe there's a, you know, I want to create like a, a showpiece. Like we created a, a Louis Chinois, which means the Chinese bear. And it's, a, it's essentially a violin concerto for Helen um and it's you know it's kind of keyed or not keyed but it's themed after tambourine chinois by fritz chrysler mm -hmm. you know to, to come up with something that can can fill a certain need in the band right uh, other times there's you know opportunities for humor or puns in the music uh you know going back to like our first release charred mammal flesh you know we used to go clubbing a lot so like cave of Uldo, you know was started off as a as a quote and a pun to Usher and Lil John's yeah. Oh know, really? Kind of have a have a hip hop group. <laughs> and then, you know, we were like, oh it's hip hop. So we could also have like like a pun like hip hop, a yeah. hop, you know, like 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 exotica hip hop. What would that be like? And then we we're like, well what do we do in the middle of the song? What's the biggest U turn we could take? And so we added four bars of Rebel String Quartet. Oh interesting. You know? <laughs> Or like Sumo Tori Sumo Pop, which comes off of the uh, the Rendezvous album. We we wrote as a character piece for this imaginary, you know, sumo wrestler uh, that that Tim Tim would wear like the, the sumo suit in concert. But it's also based off of a Thelonious Monk tune called Well You Needn't. Oh, <laughs> you know, or like I was trying to learn the I was trying to learn. Um, I, I was in a jazz ensemble in NEC, and we we're playing all of our standards and odd meters. So like summertime, we were playing it and we were playing it at five as a merengue so uh took that wrote a new melody that's pl plumingo merengue mm -hmm. except the last bars and six because you know why not you know uh so it's just kind of a, a combination of, of things i think when other other composers are different i know tim is very influenced by just kind of like the idea the, the experience the atmospheric experience so he wrote a tune called cave of the tarpon uh, which is about an underwater cave where tarpon like these giant fish live. right and so he wrote a whole song that you know all about that wow know? interesting <laughs> yeah you know or, uh, yeah. or um I, th I think the thing that's that that's in common between us and groups of the past is that nothing is on autopilot sure you know everything is there's a conscientious decision about the arrangement about the instrumentation who's playing what in the melody or the harmony or what instruments we're using which bird calls are where and when, you know, there's a, there's a performance practice. Right. Right. What's being done. So when you guys uh, are writing a song and, and you're, you're performing it for the first time, each person is contributing to that based on what they are bringing to the piece. Yeah. I mean, everyone in the group is a professional musician. Yeah. Uh, so they each have their own perspective and their own skills that they bring you know, to, to the piece. Usually, I mean, because we have so limited uh, rehearsal time, what we do is 
we send out the charts well in advance. Everyone practices at home. Yeah. And yeah. then when we come when we when we come together, it's like you have one shot to play the piece through yeah. before we're going on stage. Wow. That's crazy. You know, and so the level that the musicians are at is that when they're on stage, you know, it's basically they have the chart in front of them so that they know the title of the tune, you know, and compared to like what the tune, what the, what the song is, but they're not reading music. Uh, they're not sight reading. Okay. Um, they've already got it internalized. They're already, yeah, yeah. it's already a part of them. Yeah. Wow. Are you guys performing right now? Or, I mean, is everything kind of put on hold over there? Uh, yeah, we're not performing right now. I mean, the, the most recent thing we really did was, uh, was that, that quartet thing yeah, at, at yeah. public, Hawaii public radio. Yeah. But even that one, I mean, we, we rolled in, we didn't rehearse. Okay. Uh, maybe, wow. Maybe you could tell. I don't know. No, I can't we tell. Didn't rehearse. It was, it was we, just, great. we just went in, we played those five songs down and we left. Very nice. Yeah. That was going to be a question too, because, you know, with everybody kind of told to social distance and quarantine and self-isolate and all that, I, I, I wondered how challenging that would be for musical acts to keep their skills up, you know, but. You know, I think everything's just on hold. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I think it's it's different because it, it, it may be different for us because we're musicians by trade. We're, you know, we have to play. Yeah. You know? And in fact, like with like, you know, Hawaii Symphony or, you know, other groups that we other employers, you know, they're telling us, you know, put out music while you're, you know, while you're on on hiatus so that they have content you know, for their stuff. So we're all actively playing. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So that last question that I had was, um, what do you think is different about exotica music today than in previous generations? You know, I think one thing that we have the benefit of is access to recordings, you know? Oh yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's great that there's this history. I mean, now we're looking at 50, 60 years on, right? Mm -hmm. So, for musicians like like us we want to dig into the past repertoire it's all there you know i mean ethel azama buddy colette you know the entire discographies of martin denny arthur lyman gene rains it's all there right. so there's so much that we can learn from what they've already done do, um, do you think that so here's kind of my thought about about it yeah. What I think is different today is that it seems that exotica music today is written more for the forefront instead of the background. Because a lot of times when I hear exotica music from the past, and Martin Denny wasn't like this, and Arthur Lyman wasn't like this, and you know, some of the, the greats weren't like this, but there was maybe a more obscure artist that had an exotica album that really wrote it more as a background piece or a soundtrack to something right where it was maybe as a soundtrack to a film or a soundtrack to an environment like a restaurant you know and that was just really the intent of the music but today i don't i don't think i can name an exotica track that's been written or performed that hasn't been something that's meant to be played on stage in front of an audience well i don't know i, I think it depends I think that that's a, that's a really uh, astute insight. I, I think it depends, though. I mean, like, if you look at, um, 
you know, there, there's some groups where, I mean, really only Martin Denny, Arthur Lyman and Gene Rains and like those guys were, were performing, were like actively performing. Right? Yeah. Yeah. You look like Bob, like Bob Drazen's music. I mean, he, he did it as a, as a side project. It, it became popular among a niche crowd later mm-hmm. on. I didn't want to say his but name, he, but you know, I saw him play live at the Hukilau many, many years ago. And to be honest with you, it, it was hard for me to enjoy it the same way that I enjoy a Martin Denny album. That's what I'm trying to say. It was written with a different construct. Now, I, yeah. I think when you saw him play, you probably saw Waitiki play because uh, we we were his band for two years at Hukilau. Okay. Uh, and then we also played with him at um, at Oasis. And I've seen know, you guys. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, you know what? You're right. Um, and then we uh, we had that we put together the Don the Beachcomber uh, music and cocktail yeah, festival. Yeah. I remember that. And, uh, he, uh, he, he came up and he, and he, and he, uh, you know, he played a whole show with us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. His, his style of music was not the same to me. So, um, it, to me, it yeah, was, it wasn't fair. as, yeah. uh, it wasn't as, um, uh, uh, I don't know what the word is that I'm looking for. Um, it it seemed more that it was composed for uh, as a soundtrack as opposed to a performance. I don't know if I'm if I'm making sense. No, that 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 that's. I think we're talking about the same thing. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, yeah. I mean, it's um, it's all it's all in the same realm. People use tiki music in different ways now, and and. Us being in the tiki circuit, I think, is different because there, there wasn't a circuit of music yeah. necessarily uh, in the same way. I think it's a good answer. Ago. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're right. You're right. I think it's a great answer. Yeah, you know, and and they were they were creating music that was fresh and new, uh, and in response to, um, you know, I mean, in some ways, you know, exotica music was the first kind of like music of people of color mm-hmm. um, among a very not people of color audience, you know, a- along with jazz and Latin jazz, but Exotica, you know, really, really brought things um, really highlighted, you know, all the, all the great differences between the different cultures, you know, of, of people of Hawaii, for example. Right. You know, when Arthur Lyman would, would go on talk shows and, 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 and talk about uh, and, and play, you know, he was making a statement about who he was as a as a Hawaiian musician and and as a musician entering the world. Right. Um, that it has a totally different social uh, context than you know uh, those of us that you know like we enjoy playing Exotica and we go and play at you know Tiki Oasis or Hukilau or wherever, uh, but we're not making the same statement really that I think Arthur Lyman was in his music. Sure, sure. You know, if I knew then what I know now, I would have went and watched him perform when he was still alive. And same with Martin Denny, because those guys were still performing it into their later years. And uh, yeah. it's it's not something that I knew about at the time. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's something that I wish I could go back and, and do. So, so yeah, what, well. what's the future of White Tiki? Um, you know, we've 
been so lucky. We have some really dedicated fans going back, you know, 15, 16, 17 years now. Um, and so they've been clamoring for us to make a return and uh, just say that the Quartet Exotica stuff that we posted is just the very tip of the iceberg for that. Mm-hmm. Um, we are planning to come back on the scene in an exciting way. We're uh, in talks for a, a big show in 2021 that I, I can't tell you what it is yet, but I'll, oh, wow. I will say that it will be somewhere where we haven't been in a very long time and it's one of our favorite places. Okay. Um, and, uh, <laughs> that's, you know, that's a and, nice and, tease. And we're, 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 <laughs> we're hoping to, uh, pilot, you know, we've been piloting, piloting these small projects, the seven plus seven and the uh, stuff with orchestra and everything. Right. And so we're hoping to take some of what we've learned for those projects and bring it out for everybody to enjoy. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. Very nice. I'd love to see more stuff on the Facebook page too. If you ever, start putting more stuff up there that let me know i'd love to uh, share that out to my group page too yeah yeah people really responded to those videos you know people were excited about those yeah 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 we um you know we're 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 updating the facebook we finally got it i finally found the password for my instagram account (laughs) we 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 we, uh we just moved all all of our uh music we're in the process of moving it all to Bandcamp. okay uh, so that people can get the cds and some of the merchandise that uh you know we we basically we, we stopped selling everything about like eight years ago when i moved to hawaii and i just couldn't really you know deal with merchandising ytk at the same time as like building a building my life sure um but it's all available now and Very nice. uh you know it's uh we'd love for people to, to, to check it out really i think you know the the power of um viral viewing is really helpful yeah and so the more views that we have, you know, tell your friends, share the music, definitely helps us and other artists to, you know, help, you know, rise to the surface uh, yeah. among, you know, other mainstream acts. Let's uh, throw so, out your uh, social media stuff and, and your website and all that where people can get that stuff. Yeah, for sure. We're all we're on all the platforms, rebuilding our website. You know, it's, it's like it's like we kind of like stopped in a time machine and now we're now we're coming back. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes yeah. life takes over, man. <laughs> yeah, man. So, um, if they want to get the music, Waitiki is it Waitiki Seven? Uh, yeah, com? go to go to Waitiki W A I T I K I dot Bandcamp dot com. Of course, you can get it at uh, you know at iTunes and other stuff, but if you go to Bandcamp, that's that's really the best situation for us. Uh, you can go to on Facebook and just search Waitiki. Uh, on Instagram, we're at Waitiki. You can also tweet us. Yeah, just hit us up. Ask, you know, cool. ask us questions about Exotica and go on. You know, go on a scavenger hunt through all of our CDs and let us know what uh, musical puns and stuff you find because we've left them everywhere. <laughs> oh, that's awesome! I love that. I got one last question for you. Yeah. When this whole pandemic is over. Where is the first place you want to go, or what is the first thing you want to do? Um, that's a great question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't. I'll I help you. I'll help you with my answer if that helps you. So, yeah, what's your? I, I have three. I have three. Um, I want to get Korean barbecue and uh-huh. cook it on the table. I want to get rolling dim sum, and I want to sit at a sushi bar. And uh, I want to get drunk at Tiki Tea. 
Actually, so that's four. Oh. Uh, okay. Then I want to come out to Hawaii and uh, do a bar crawl wanna, out there. Yeah, you can you you can do that. Uh, okay, my my three are. I want to go to the Mai Tai and oh, have yeah. a rum barrel. There you go. That's my first one. Uh, my second one is I want to go to Latitude Forty Nine because I've never been. Latitude Twenty Nine. Jeff Twenty Nine. Ber- Jeff Berry's. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, the numbers were mixed up in my yep, head. Yep. Uh, and I want to play a concert somewhere. Yeah, very nice, man. I'd love to go see you guys play that concert. Yeah. That'd yeah. be awesome. Well, I appreciate you taking the time out. Randy to speak with us on the podcast thank you so much my pleasure thanks for asking me thanks for supporting my TV Um, this is just awesome it's it's great to talk to you yeah yeah I'm glad that we got to talk it's been a while I I don't know how many years it's been since we actually got to physically chat and so it's nice to to actually talk again and it's been so long and I look forward to more material from Waitiki. Yeah, there there will definitely be more material from Waitiki. Uh, whether you guys want it or not, it's, it's coming <laughs> your way. Uh, so grab a you know, grab a mai tai and a rum barrel, and a skull, and a zombie, and whatever else you can you can hold in your arms and uh, get ready. <laughs> there you go, and, and you're always welcome to post that stuff up on the group page for inside the desert oasis room. So. Feel free to post oh, your links you. and stuff there. I mean, I'd love to give you as much exposure as I can with our oh, listeners. Oh, I know what I want to do. I want to go to the Desert Oasis room. Oh, dude. I okay, I know That's what, I, what I, I, I want to do. I want to add this to my Come list. On. I want to have you at the Desert Oasis room. As a matter of fact, I'd love to have all you guys at the Desert Oasis room. And no music or anything from you guys. Just to sit down, have a good time, have some cocktails, and have some food and all that kind of stuff. I would love that. I mean, you know, after after that that Hanaho uh, article. Oh, you Hanaho you saw that spread, man. You saw yeah. that. Oh, nice, dude. I appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. Yeah, I'd love to have you guys. I, I I don't know how often you get out here to Cali, but the next time you're out here, send me a text or a call or a private message or whatever to get a hold of me and let's make that happen. I yeah, absolutely. You you will hear from me. Very good. I hope so. Yeah, man. Thank you so much. Thanks, Randy. You have a good night, and we'll chat again soon. All right. Cheers. Aloha. Aloha.